silence of our own hearts. We've prayed together, we've, we've uh, sang together, but now I just want a moment between you and Jesus. For, for you in the silence of your own heart, to ask Him, Lord, do you want to show me something this morning? Do you want to open my eyes and specifically ask Him to show you how beautiful He really is? Amen. Would you just ask Him that this morning in the silence of your own heart? To ask Him, show me how beautiful you are. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, that we can be still and know that you are God. Thank you that you are beautiful. Thank you that you want us to know you more. You want us to see who you really are. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's an incredible privilege to be with you this morning. Today I want to talk about who he really is. And I want to start off with the story of a young man. Now this young man was headed off on a journey. He was one that you might see on the street corner. You might look at this person. In fact, sometimes you might smell this person before they get close to you. This, this guy, as he's coming along, his clothes are so tattered that they're nearly falling off of him. He looks emaciated. He looks like he hasn't had a bite to eat in quite some time. He looks dirty, filthy. He's somebody that you might look at him and you might say, well, you know what? Maybe he didn't, get, he didn't have a, a good upbringing. Maybe, maybe he didn't have a dad. Maybe, maybe that's why it was that he ended up like this. But what were the life circumstances that led him here? So he walked along from town to town. He was intent on a journey. He wasn't just standing there begging. He was moving with a mission. He was headed somewhere. He had a purpose in mind as to where he was headed. I want you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 15 to read a little bit about the beginnings of this young man. Because, you know, if you had seen this young man and you had known where he came from, you wouldn't feel any compassion, I'm afraid, for him at all. We might look at him and say, what is he doing? How did he end up like this? I don't understand. Look with me at Luke chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 11. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, it says, Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Uh, Can you imagine? Uh, Those of you who are near retirement age, or or those of you who have parents or grandparents near the age of retirement, that you come up to them and you say, Hey, I know that there's an inheritance coming once you die, but I'd like to have fun now. So how about you send the goods my way now? How would you feel? Or how would your parents feel? How would your grandparents feel? I mean, you're basically saying, I I don't care what happens to you, I just want what you have. That's what he says. He says, divide the livelihood to us. Well, you look at what kind of dad he had. Uh, He gave him the money right away, right? And then it goes on to say, And not many days after, the young son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Right? So, so here you have a young man who, who he wants this stuff. But my question is, is, is it the stuff that leads him on that journey? 
Why doesn't he just stay where he's at and, and enjoy all this, this wealth? And, and why doesn't he stay where he's at? What is his problem? What's the problem for him? Can you see it? He wants to go to a far country, far away, as far away as he can. Who's he trying to get away from? His father. I don't know all the details of what he believed about his father, but, but there's something in his growing up, something about his dad, something about the restrictions that he thought his dad placed on his life, something about the way that his dad told him he needed to live, some things that his dad had taught him. He said, I don't want that for my life. And so he went off on a journey to a far country. I kind of identify with this guy because, you know, I grew up in this, this great Christian home. I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I had no business wandering from Jesus. I remember growing up, I loved Jesus. I loved going to church. I, I loved, but something began to happen as I got older. One point, I, I was headed off to a new school, Fresno Adventist Academy, just about 45 minutes from where I lived, and I really wanted to go to the school. And, you know, I wonder in this story, as this young man began to go on his journey, do you think his mama had some advice for him? Do you think she wanted to, to tell him a few things before he headed on his journey? Maybe his dad had, had a list of things. Hey, you know, yeah, you're taking everything, but here's the deal. When you go, I, I hope that you'll at least do this. Well, before going to this school... My mom said to me, she said, Zach, there's one thing I really want, and that is, don't lose your time with Jesus. Of, of anything else, when you go to the school, you go off, and there's all these friends in high school, just don't lose your time with Jesus. Take time to get to know Jesus every day. Spend time in the Bible. Well, I really wanted to go to that school, so I said, of course, Mom. Yeah, I'll do that every day. No worries. Can I please go to school now? I said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go to this school. And I remember as things get busier in school, things began to go on in my life that I got really involved in sports. And sports were so busy that I'd have to get up really early in the morning, get up at like 4.30 in the morning to head to practice by 6 a.m. Uh, with a 45-minute drive to get down there. You know, life was packed with volleyball practice, with basketball practice, with football practice. Yeah, I went to a little private school, so I could play all those sports. In fact, they would just say, hey, you're tall, you're on the team, <laughs> you're a shoo-in. Not that I'm very good at sports, but I, they wanted me to play. And those things began to get, I became more and more busy in my life. And then I began to, to look at the girls that were playing on the other teams, and I began to, to think about how much fun I could have in life. And, and little by little, Jesus began to take a back seat in my life, and I, I forgot what my mom said. She said, take time with Jesus every day. I got totally distracted from that. And I won't bore you with all the details, but my life began to spiral downward. I remember that I really wanted to impress those girls. I really wanted to get their attention, and, and I felt like I was too shy, or I didn't have what it took, to, and I needed to loosen up. And so I remember we were on one tournament, and I, I began to drink. And before long, I began to drink more often. And before long, I was drinking when I was headed to school, when I was at school, when I was driving. I had an issue. I began to dabble in some other things. I began to, to even try out some other drugs and to try partying. And I had no business being in a far country. I knew where I had come from, I, but I was trying to get away from the restrictions in my life. 
Have you been there before? I mean, in every area of my life, I was just trying to get away from what my parents had told me. I remember one day when my dad first let me drive myself to school. And he gave me this list of things like, hey, don't tailgate, don't drive faster than the speed limit, don't, and this list, long list of how I was supposed to drive. And so you know what I did? Drove down the dirt road from my house, got out on the road, and put the pedal to the metal as fast as I could go to get to school. I'm trying to pass as many cars as I can. I'm trying to make a game out of it. And then I found out something practical in my life. When you break the laws that are there to help you, you begin to find restrictions coming into your life. And I had three tickets and two accidents in my first year of driving, and thankfully I was still alive, but I'm getting letters from the DMV like, hey, you may not be able to continue driving if this continues. I'll get to in a moment where the Bible tells us exactly that this is the case in our lives when we wander from Jesus. But before I go there, I want you to look at something from a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. Now, he's writing from the perspective of a demon. It's called the Screwtape Letters. So it's a, it's a crazy book. I actually haven't read the entire thing myself. But this part has really stuck out to me. As he's saying, this one demon's trying to tell another demon how to convince people to leave Jesus. And this is what he says. This is the key to what he says. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Because that's the formula of what you need to offer to people. What you're going to do is you're going to... See, here's the deal. God has made every pleasure on this planet. Did you know that? There's no pleasure that wasn't originated by God. The problem is that Satan counterfeits them. And he brings them in in such a way that it's, we ever want more, and there's always a little less pleasure out of it. This is exactly what happens in, in drug addiction, and alcohol addiction, right? You have to have more and more of it, and you get less and less of a response from your body physically. Uh, that happened to me with everything from video games. You know, you play the video games, and you're just addicted to it. Addiction, it happens, it happens with women, going from one woman to another, what, whatever it might be in your life. Outside of the boundaries of what a loving God has given you, there is an ever-increasing craving with ever-diminishing pleasure. And, and Jesus said it like this in, in John chapter 8 and verse 34. He said, John chapter 8 and verse 34, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Proverbs says, you know, whoever is, is sinning is, is going to be holden by the cords of that sin. You see, God didn't give us this book because He wanted to make our lives miserable. It, he says in, in Psalm chapter 84 and verse 10, or verse 11, that no good thing would I withhold from those who walk uprightly. Amen. He wants for you to have a happy life. Right. He wants for you to delight in your life. He wants to give you pleasure in your life. Is that okay to say in church? But I believe that that's the reality of how God created us. And we're going to look at that this week and we're going to see it from the Bible. But Satan brings us a counterfeit. A counterfeit that holds us down, that chains us, and that keeps us from experiencing our full potential. And you see what happens to this young man in verse 14. As it continues, it says, But when he had spent all, He's got nothing left. There arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. 
Sometimes God needs to let some experiences happen in our lives in order to get our attention. Sometimes it takes a little bit of an awakening in our lives. I, I remember a little bit later in my life that I was headed off to college, and, and this time I was determined to do similar to, the rich young, uh, to, to this young man. I began to pack my car. As I began to pack my car, I was taking everything out of my room, and I was trying to fit it into my car. And I remember coming back in and seeing my mom, and I said, Mom, I can't fit everything in my car. And she says, why do you need to fit everything in your car? You have a room here at your house. I'm hoping that you're coming back. Well, yeah, Mom, I'll probably be back. But I didn't want to really come back. I, I, I wanted to go. I wanted my freedom. I wanted to get away. And by that point in my life, God had brought a girl into my life that... I was planning to marry her. I was planning to live with her. And and it had done some good things in my life. It got me away from drinking. It got me away from doing a lot of things in my life. But by that point, uh, we were not in a moral relationship. Jesus was not the center of our relationship. And I just wanted out. I wasn't in the place that I was raised to be. Because I thought that there was something better out there. But this young man, he's in a famine and he begins to be in want. But just being in want is not enough to bring you back to God. Because look at what he does. He's in want, but verse 15 continues and it says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. It gets a little bit lower. He tries to find a solution. He goes, oh, I'm going to join myself to this guy, and I'm going, to, I'm going to work together with him. And he says, well, you can go and feed my pigs. Maybe he did that out of spite because he knew that he was a Jew, and that was the lowest, most degrading thing that he could have offered for him to do. And he's there. Verse 16 continues. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. He's hitting the lowest of lows. And and I've usually looked at this story and I thought, you know, that's what drove him home. He finally recognized how bad it was. And that is a part of the picture. I want to talk to you this morning about something called repentance. Okay, so this young man, he started off and, and God is telling us this story. Jesus is telling us this story. So that we can know what true repentance is like and what God, how God is in our lives, how we can really know who he is. So, so he's headed off in a direction. He's headed off to live his life. And what repentance actually means is to turn away from sin, from all the things that the Bible tells us that's wrong. And you begin to see that, hey, he's recognizing, I don't want this, but it's not enough to just recognize how bad things are because if you just turn away to something else, you're going to find another empty road. But what he needs is a revelation of who Jesus is. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. You see, he's able to turn away from this because he sees what it's really like at home. His eyes begin to open. He begins to remember 
what his dad is like, and he begins to realize how good his dad actually is. And that's what will give you repentance in your life. Did you know that repentance is a gift? Acts chapter 5 and verse 31, it says that Jesus was sent in order to give us repentance. But repentance, this turning away from... I mean, let's be real this morning. There's a lot of pleasure. There's a lot of joy, uh, thrills that may seem like... And let's not pretend that there's not a lot of fun out there. Outside of what, what God has designed for us. So how do I practically turn away from that? Do I just force myself? Do I just get enough gumption into it? Do I just hear enough sermons? Will that be what does it? What this says is, he recognized who his father was. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not telling ourselves how bad the world is. It's not trying to make big enough promises to God. It is knowing who He is and what He will be in your life. Look at what it says in this book, Christ's Object Lessons, an amazing commentary on Jesus' lessons to us. Christ's Object Lessons, it says this, The deceptive power that Satan had exercised over him was broken. Miserable as he was, the prodigal found hope in the conviction of his father's love. The hope that came in was, my dad is actually a father of love. It was love which was drawing him toward home. This guy, when he sets out on his journey, we learn later that he is barefoot, he's barely got clothes on, he stinks, and he has a long journey to go on. And as he's making that journey, what compels him each step of the way is knowing the love that his father has for him. So it is the assurance of God's love that constrains the sinner to return to God. What will bring you home is knowing what an amazing God you have and how much He loves you and how He'll treat you the second you turn towards Him. The goodness of God, it goes on to say, leads you to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So you see what he does. Luke chapter 15 and verse 18 continues. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make confession to him. And then look at what he says in verse 19. Okay, so he doesn't really get it. Verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's beginning to see that he's got to turn around. Wow. He's, he's got to turn around and see how good his father is. But he has no idea how good his father really is. And I want to encourage you this morning that none of us really know how good God is. Amen. That all of us need to expand in our conceptions of the beauty of the love of God. And that is what will lead us to repentance. I've got room to grow. This week, I'm not coming here as the one who knows it all, but I'm coming here as one who can share from my own experience how good Jesus is. This guy doesn't really know who his dad is. I want to ask you, can you tell me who this is? Can you see this picture? Anybody see that? Maybe, maybe one of their young people with really good eyes. Can you tell who that is? Okay, keep looking. Can you tell who it is? Who, who do you think that is? 
What was it? I heard it back there. You can say it. If it's okay to say it in church if I put it on the screen. It's Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, so, so you imagine that this guy, he turns on this journey towards his dad. And the closer he gets towards his dad, he's going to realize that his dad is somebody totally different than he thought all along. You still think that's Marilyn Monroe? Or is it Albert Einstein? Who is it? Who is God to you, really? You needed to see that again, don't you? Let's try that again. Watch real carefully. It looks like Marilyn Monroe. But who is it, really? That's Albert Einstein. I'm not saying God is Albert Einstein, but I am saying that we need our eyes open to see who God really is. We need to know Him, and we think we know Him. We've got, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, I can see that picture. It's Marilyn Monroe. But we need to get a little closer. And as our eyes are opened, as we take time in this book, which from cover to cover reveals that God is love, it will change absolutely everything for us. And that's what began to change in my life too. I was there in college and I was... I remember one day in particular where I was beginning to experience kind of that famine. I recognized it as a heart famine. One day, my girlfriend and I, we were in the parking lot, and she said something that made me so angry that I took the football out of the trunk of my car and I slammed it down on the parking lot. And I remember the look of fear that she gave me. And later on where she said, you know, it just, it really bothers me that you would, I mean, how... What, what the question really was is, am I going to do the same thing to her if I'm that upset? I, I remembered how, how I, I had phone conversations with her and I'm, I'm putting a hole in my dorm room wall. I'm so upset. And I realized that I was missing something in here. I had a famine in my heart. I was not a loving person. And so I didn't change everything in my life. I, I, I was still doing all these other things, but... I opened my Bible every morning to see a God of love. And I said, I need help here. I began to read 1 Corinthians 13. I kind of wish I'd begun with the Gospels to see Jesus. But I began to read 1 Corinthians 13 because it talks about love. And I would read that chapter every morning. In fact, I had this Bible that was tinier than this Bible. And I would go in the corner of my dorm room. I had two two roommates. And I would kind of turn my back, get up a little earlier than them, and I'd be reading my Bible in the corner. They woke up, and I remember one morning where they finally wake up and they come out, hey, what are you doing in the corner? Uh, you know, I'm reading my Bible. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. You can read your Bible. Uh, okay, uh, I was more brave then. I could, I could keep reading my Bible. I would read in, in Proverbs because I knew I needed wisdom. I needed love in my life. And you know, I didn't immediately say, hey, I'm going to start going to church every week. I, I, I was still sleeping with my girlfriend, spending time with Jesus. And this week, what I want to emphasize to you is that it is not about what you do, but who you know. And who you know will transform what you do. We've got to get it in that order. If we start with what we do, if we start with trying to change what we do, we're going to end up in a world of hurt. But if we start with who we know, our Father, if we begin to fall in love with Him, it will change absolutely everything. Amen. So he arose, verse 20, 
and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him. I mean, look at this. He's a great way off. His father sees him. He's running out to meet him. He's been watching every day, just waiting for his son to come back. His father's goodness is way better than he even expected. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So he begins to to try to get his story out. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We've got an issue here with worthiness. We think that we've got to be worthy before we come to Jesus. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. He wants you to say, hey, yeah, it'd be great to know Jesus, but I need to get some things right in my life first. It will never, ever work. Look at Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23 says this, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. It's totally impossible for you to change who you are. And that sounds hopeless, but there's a God who can change everything about you. And what we need to do is to get to know Him. To open our Bibles, to take time with Him, to get back to the basics, as Pastor Seo said earlier. But the father said to his servants, to bring out the best robes. I love this. I mean, here he is. He's, he's tattered clothes. He, he, he's got nothing. He's barefoot. But he says, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Do you know what he meant by that? He's not just saying, okay, yeah, yeah, let's put this ring on his finger. He's taking the family ring. He's putting it on his finger saying, hey, you are now authorized to do business transactions for our family. You are fully reinstated as a son. You are back in good faith. This guy still smells like pig slop. He's been on a long journey. He's wearing rags underneath this best robe. But he says, put the family ring back on my son. I'm fully reinstating him to favor with me. Put sandals on his feet. Do whatever it takes for this young man. Verse 23, uh, well, let's first look at this from Faith and Works, talking about that robe of righteousness that God wants to give us. It says, The Lord Jesus imparts how much? All the powers, all the grace, all the penitence, all the inclination, all the pardon of sins in presenting His righteousness for man to grasp by living faith, which is also the gift of God. So let me ask you, how much of that in there is of your own effort? It is all a gift from God. He wants to give you the gift of repentance. He wants to give you a knowledge of Him. He is the one who does it all. So then the father says, hey, let's throw a party. And we see that that this guy who went off to party with harlots and found himself miserable because that was such an empty, loveless life, Here his dad is saying, hey, let's throw an extravagant party. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Christ's object lesson says it like this. In his restless youth, the prodigal looked upon his father as stern and severe. He thought, this guy doesn't know how to party. (laughs) How different his conception of him now. 
So those who are deceived by Satan look upon God as hard and exacting. Do you ever see God as hard and exacting, as having a lot of requirements for your life? They regard Him as watching to denounce and condemn, as unwilling to receive the sinner so long as there is a legal excuse for not helping Him. Have you ever felt like, well, well God just wants to keep as many people out of heaven as possible? But he whose eyes have been opened by the love of Christ will behold God as full of compassion. That's who he is. That's who your loving Father in heaven is. He does not appear as a tyrannical, relentless being, but as a father longing to embrace his repenting son. I mean, he tells this story. Jesus tells this story because the Pharisees are like, why are you doing this, Jesus? You're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Look at this guy. And he tells this story to say, that's who God is. If you're not okay with that, then you're not worshiping the true God. This afternoon, we're going to look at some crazy stories from the Bible. Stories that you might have thought would never be talked about in a sermon. Maybe they've been preached here before. Stories about harlots. Stories about incest. Stories about craziness that went on in people's lives. And how Jesus shows up as an incredible Savior. He is longing to embrace every one of us. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus said this, If you take one promise away from this message, I want it to be this one. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That is the one thing. It's to turn to Jesus. To accept His loving invitation. To to not reject all that He's longing to give to you. And if you will only turn to Jesus, He will open His arms to you. Some of us today are in the place of that young man. We've run off to a far country and we need to come home. But some of us have been in the church all our lives. Some of us have not left the Father's home. Some of us have been obeying His requirements, but look at what happens when the older brother comes in and he finds out that there's a party going on. He doesn't even want to go into the party, but the Father comes out to him. And he says this in verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his Father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, so he answered and said to him, Father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've been going through every motion that you've asked me to go through. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. I've been keeping the commandments. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. You see what he's saying? He's like, look, I'm going through the motions. I'm doing all this stuff and I'm doing it for the reward and you're not rewarding me enough. And look at the father's answer. But as soon as the son of yours... Well, he goes on to talk more about the brother. As soon as the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, news came back about what this guy was doing, off partying in that land, you killed the fatted calf for him. Look at the dad's answer. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. You're always with me. What you need is to be with me. My son's finally learned that the real party is to come home. The real place to be is in my presence. In my presence, God says in Psalm 1611, is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. I hold nothing back from you. Every good gift I'm longing to give to you. 
and all that I have is yours. Zyra Age is talking about following Jesus. It says, page 480, this is a, a classic on the life of Christ. It says, it is not the fear of punishment. Right? So not being afraid of, of the results of our sin. It's not the fear of punishment or the hope of everlasting reward that leads disciples of Christ to follow Him. Now it may be initially, that might be what starts us in our journey. We might think about golden streets. We might think about living forever. We might think about those things. That, and I'll be honest, sometimes that motivates me. And that's okay. But God wants to take you even deeper than that. To where you could say this morning, you know, even if there were no heaven and no hell, what I want is to know Jesus, to be with Jesus, and to do whatever He empowers me to do in my life. That kind of love is the love that will change this world. Look at what it goes on to say. They behold the Savior's matchless love revealed throughout His pilgrimage on earth from the manger of Bethlehem to Calvary's cross. And the sight of Him attracts. It softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. It changes everything. Falling in love with Jesus will change everything in your life for the better. That's what I want to talk about this week. I want to talk about how delightful it is to fall in love with Jesus and to be able to have excitement about your walk with Jesus. And you know what? It does come with its reward. It does come with its blessings. And I'm going to share with you the fact that, that I went from, uh, you know, I remember praying that God would end that relationship. At one point, I'm there reading the Bible and I'm in this relationship, this long-term relationship. God began to give me different desires in my life. And I knew that I couldn't continue in that relationship. I wanted to come home in a way. But I, I didn't have the guts to do it. And so I said, God, you've got to end this relationship. I didn't really mean it. <laughs> but you know, within three months, that relationship was over. She broke up with me. Though she'd been asking to marry me and stuff all along, suddenly it was over. And then I was crushed. Then I was heartbroken. Then I thought it was all over. But this afternoon, I'm going to share with you that Jesus met me in that moment. And the end of the story is, I went from wanting women, from having this girlfriend, to now I've got three girlfriends. Did you know it's okay to have three girlfriends? <laughs> I have three beautiful girlfriends. I did not know it was okay for a pastor to have three girlfriends, but I do. And they are the delight of my life. Amen. This morning, I want to invite you. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I want to ask you, what do you see Jesus like? When you picture Jesus, what does He look like to you? Does He look like one who is out to get you like a fierce lion who is after you? I want to close with this story this morning. John and Ace, they, they walked up to this rock, and as they walked up to this rock, they saw this lion coming down after them. And as they saw this lion approaching, what would you do? If you see an African lion coming down a rock after you. As you see this, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider what your walk with Jesus is like. This is live footage from 1969 as the lion came down the rock. See him getting closer? He's going to pounce. Here he comes. And he pounces. Right? 
God is longing to embrace you. God is longing to enfold you in His arms. He's a God of love. And He's longing to show you that. You know, this lion, he's like that because they knew him. They were friends. He's a wild lion at this point, but they, back in 1969, actually, this was actually 1971, but in 1969, they were walking in London past Herod's uh, shop in London, and they saw this little tiny lion, and they said, we've got to buy it. They bought it. <clears throat> they took it home. They raised it in their apartment. He would play with their TV set. They named him Christian, the lion. He has a name. He would sit on their couch, and he kept getting bigger and bigger. Pretty soon, they would drive him around in their car. They would, they would drive him to the local churchyard so that they could get him to run around and to play with a soccer. And then it became time to reintroduce him into the wild. And, and, and this, natural, uh, this guy that was familiar with lions took them to Africa. They introduced him to the wild. And about a year later was when they finally went back. And as they went back to Africa, they had that incredible reunion. Christian remembered them and loved them. When you have a relationship with somebody, it changes everything. They may look like a fierce lion, and this morning that might be your picture of God, but I just want to invite you to open your Bible, to join us this week as we go on a journey to see what Jesus is really like. How many of you think you could join us this week? We're going to be here 2 o'clock this afternoon after lunch. Then we're going to be here at 7 o'clock each evening. We're going to be talking about getting to know and see Jesus. Now, there's going to be three of us here, I'm afraid. I, I need somebody else. I need at least four people to be here this week. Five? This week, I'm not here to tell you all the stuff that you got to do but I'm here to tell you who you need to know. And that knowing Him will change everything for you. It's changed everything for me, and it's continuing to. I've got so much room to grow. But I just want to invite you on a journey of knowing Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? And just in the silence of your own heart, be open and real with Jesus about where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're the prodigal contemplating heading out into a wild life and saying, I don't know about what God has to offer. Or maybe you're the prodigal who's hit rock bottom. Maybe you've just come home. Or maybe you're represented by that brother who's been here all along, but you're not really enjoying Jesus. You don't really know Him as your friend. Wherever you're at this morning, would you just ask Him, to show him more, to show you more of who he really is. Amen. Amen. We want that to be the reality of our hearts. We'll just be honest this morning. Sometimes gold, sometimes silver, sometimes being famous is attractive. Would you take our hearts deeper? That we really would know that you're sweeter than honey. Amen. That you're more precious than gold. Amen. Oh, Father, I pray for each person here that you would show them that more and more. I pray this week that that would be revealed. I pray this afternoon as we talk about birthday parties for prostitutes that we would see what a beautiful God you are. 
but I pray most of all that you would lead us to open our Bibles, to read them, and to look there for a God who loves us more than his own existence. Thank you, Jesus, for the amazing, loving God you are. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.